Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk with someone who's taken the reins of their industry horse and steered off the lame, tired path to venture into unexplored opportunities that have kicked up the dust on the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting since the early 2000s as a senior underwriter. He's worked in various key positions in the insurance, healthcare, and technology industries. And we're talking to him today to learn through his experiences of digital transformation that has led him to leveling up insurance and healthcare technology companies through portfolio management. Coming us coming to us live from Louis, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, right? Louisville, oh, Kentucky, yeah. yeah. Please welcome founding and managing partner of DS9 Capital, Paul Ford. His superpower is connecting the dots super fast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. So you're our quiet disruptor. <laughs> yeah, I try yeah. to be. <laughs> you're leveling up. Uh insurance and healthcare technology, technology companies. And before we get into that, I, I really want you to tell me what's your key ingredient for disruption. Um, curiosity. It's point blank. The single, the single thing that will motivate you. Uh, it keeps you fresh, keeps you entertained. Um, and just keeps you looking for opportunities. Uh, when you're curious, you know, your work doesn't feel like work. It feels almost like an ho a hobby or sport. Um, you know, those close to me, I typically tell them, hey, I, I operate in sport mode. Like this, it's like I'm already retired and just having fun doing what I do. That's how it feels every day. Uh, but it's, it's only because I'm just very curious and I just love going down rabbit holes and seeing what I can find. Yeah, so that's really very interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard a disruptor say curious. You know? Interesting. <laughs> I, I think that's why I get along with you so well, because I'm extremely curious too. I want to know why, why is that? Does it have to be that way? What I like getting into rabbit holes. Most people don't, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. My favorite, uh, my favorite scene, I think cinematic scene of all time um, is still Alice in the Wonderland. Uh, just going down the rabbit hole. Um, yeah. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of my favorite books growing up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Do you ever read that's that cool. to your kids, Alice in Wonderland? Uh, I haven't re read the short version uh, of it to them, uh, but we always look at the different movies um, online. So whether it's the, the like plays or the cinematic or the Disney or the, the, the older cartoon, but um yeah, they, they hear me say going down the rabbit hole enough where they're like, where does that come from? Yeah. So I showed them. <laughs> they're like, gotcha. gotcha. So it makes sense to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very visual picture, right? That cinematic uh, film. So yeah. you mentioned something Absolutely. in that, you know, um, Alice in Wonderland is very nonsensical to me, right? 
And Allison is, Alice is trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, right? Tell me about the status quo of venture capitalism, private equity, like what's made you so damn curious in that field? Yeah, so Alice in Wonderland is, it, 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 it's funny, it is nonsensical, but you have this person that's curious, trying to figure out like, how come nothing makes sense? And you start to notice she she finds and people gravitate towards her that also start to reveal, yeah, this doesn't make sense, yeah. <laughs> right? They're, they're trying to figure it out, almost like an alternate version of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, same thing happens in venture investing, private equity. Um, so because it is a legitimate industry of and by itself, people like everyone's kind of roaming as a pack towards, you know, whatever, whatever's trending how business is done, it's called the status quo. Um, and if you think about just, you know, uh, how private equity and, and venture capital uh, pours money into companies and like what they pour money into, sometimes that feels nonsensical. So, you, you know, I've seen plenty of um, uh, situations where there would be a really, you know, legitimate focused biotech play on, you know, a game-changing, you know, cancer therapy. Uh, they have evidence. They just need a little bit more support. Uh, that doesn't get funded, but like a new dating app focused on professional women in some major metro does. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, or they'll want to continue to pour money into a business that shows no signs of being profitable, right? Like those things don't make sense. So, um, not and this until is the started, status um, quo. This goes on. That's the status quo. Yeah. That's it is what it is. Um, it, it wasn't until I got more uh, enmeshed in kind of the scene and then starting to ask questions like, "This doesn't make sense. Like, this is profitable. This isn't. You're putting money in the thing that's not profitable. Yes, it may scale one day, but it feels like both could." Um, and when Once you ask those questions and you're curious, are you finding answers? Or are the answers still conflicting and not making sense? And the answers are conflicting. Um, it, it, put it this way, if you're, if you're operating the status quo, you can't operate in the status quo and then say, I'm doing things wrong and, and have been for a long time. You have to just you know, toe the status quo line and say, no, this all, this all, it all makes sense. So you start to feel like you're a little crazy because you're not seeing kind of what's going on yeah uh, and for, for those that for those that know that's called gaslighting <laughs> um <laughs> right yeah, this is a whole <laughs> new take on gaslighting there's a whole new take on gaslighting but but what's, what's also super interesting is uh, as soon as i started to kind of get more curious and say well why does it have to be that way can you build a company differently can you raise money differently do you even need to raise money like what about good old-fashioned revenue and leveraging relationships uh, in lieu of money or just taking debt instead of equity, like what else could be done and constructed? Um, the more I started doing it, I got a lot of no's, uh, but the more, you know, I stayed on course, then it was like Alice in Wonderland. All of a sudden I, you know, run into some, you know, characters uh, and they go, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Keep going. Let's see what happens. And then more people kind of, you know, follow along as well, which is super interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. So you're getting a lot of like answers that are still conflicting, don't make sense. What was your summation of why 
they're still doing that? And why are they only investing in companies? This is what I see that it's going to be the next unicorn, right? That misses a whole like host yeah. of companies that are going to help people. Yeah. In my estimation is two things. And <laughs> it might sound scary for the uninitiated. Um, one is pure math. So when you're financially engineering an investment, you need a certain kind of outcome. It's just a function of how much money do I put in? How much revenue do they have? What do we think market sentiment looks like in comparable companies? It's almost like a real estate deal. Yeah. Right? If I pour in X amount of money, it boosts the appraisal of the home in the current market. That comparable home is X. If I sell it, I get Y. Like it's it's that kind of you know, uh, you know mechanism. The scary part is, um, and we've all done it. If you've worked a corporate job, uh, or even if it's not corporate, but you just had a boss, everyone starts to wake up one day and they go, "Wait a second, I'm doing my boss's job for them," or hmm, "I don't really think my boss knows what he's doing." I think my boss is throwing a dart against a dartboard and then just saying, let's go and see what happens. And if it's bad, he'll explain it away. If it's good, he'll take all the credit. Uh, that, that literally is the other side of the coin where there's pure math, right? And that's you know, the, the science part of investing. The art side, the art is the art. It's um, non-existent, so you're saying. It's, it, it's, it's not that's non-existent. Um, it just, that's where the nonsensical lives. Right. Someone could say, well, I don't invest in if you ask, you know, an investor, you know, why'd you invest in a dating app, but not a biotech thing that shows promise? Um, you may hear an answer back like, oh, that's not a part of our thesis. Mm. It's like, so uh, what is your thesis? We're looking for technology companies, SaaS based with reoccurring revenue uh, growth rates that look like X. And blah 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 blah. They won't ever mention profitability. Makes no sense, <laughs> right? So uh, that's where, like, that part doesn't make sense. But then they try to make the metrics fit their their narrative. So they'll invent KPIs and metrics to support their thesis and and what they like to invest in and what they hope they can generate a story around when it's time to create an exit. Um, Right. And sometimes that's that's a far departure from what I'll call just old school revenue growth rate in a market you can continue to grow in. Um, right. So, sometimes that's just not there. And it's not connected to profitability. No. Um, if you look at if you look at, you know, I operate largely in the insurance insure tech. Uh, spaces, uh, yeah. fintech as well. Uh, if you look at any of the the IPOs in those sectors, just just call it the last year, two years, and you look at their um, their filing pros prospectus. Um, most of them, if not all of them, say that they will they don't see themselves being profitable for the next three to five years. Yeah, I have seen that, and that that's, that's insane. Scary. Yeah, that's scary. That's so good. what is your disruption? How have you, when you've gone down this rabbit hole of curiosity and you said, there's gotta be a better way. So what is the disruption? Yeah. Um, one way you bring uh, things to a more sensible way of doing business is by escaping um, hyperbole. Uh, you use one of the biggest words 
uh, in the vernacular of modern investing, unicorn, right? So most people say, oh, I want to be the next billion dollar X. I want to be the next billion dollar Uber. Like everyone wants to be the next billion dollar Uber. Uh, but if you go look at Uber's, um, like just finances, mm-hmm. not sure you want to be Uber. Like don't know when that turns to something sustainable or not. Uh, but when you escape hyperbole and you think about things like, hmm, what if I just commit to growing a business that has an enterprise value of $100 million? This is where the, the unsensical uh, nature of you know, private equity and VC would say, oh, that, that's too small. Right. And then, they, then they'll use terms like, oh, that it sounds like you just want to, you just want to run a lifestyle business. And so to, to the average American, if you said you have the ability, you may have the ability to have a business that's worth a hundred million dollars. They're not, yes, it will change your lifestyle potentially, but, but the, the way it's said, the circles of uh, VC and private equity, it's a, it's a demeaning term. Yeah. Like it's something right? wrong. So, like it's something wrong with you. So uh, my, my part of disruption is I don't care what they say. The reality is if I stay focused on creating a business that has an enterprise value of 100 to 300 million, uh, I feel like I can do that every day of the week. I can do that super quickly. Um, and my exit is different than VC that needs a billion dollar exit to get a decent return, right? My exit is to them, right? So your exit is what? Small, say that again. Uh, my exit is different than theirs. Got it. Right. So, so what that means is they need a billion dollar exit to make some money. Um, but, and, and if they were, you know, asked, do you want to get in on this opportunity? It has the potential to be a hundred million dollar company. They'll say, no, it's too small. Uh, but if I get it to a hundred million, that's their starting point. Mm. That checks the box on, on their beginning criteria. Okay, great. And it's typically, Hey, do you have X amount of X millions of dollars of revenue uh, or EBITDA or um, whatever, whatever the metrics are, the characteristics of a hundred million dollar EV company feels like the beginning uh, of a a private equity VC play where they can go in fairly strong and then say, we can push it into a billion dollar valuation to make money. Uh, By the time they get it, I feel like I'm done or I can have a reduced role or transition out. uh, which is super interesting. So, so, you know, kind of nurturing, if you will, uh, people with thoughts, founders that have great ideas, great thoughts. Uh, typically, founders have a real problem uh, connecting the dots between what it takes to take their idea to even a $25 million, $50 million valued company, let alone billion. It's mm-hmm. easy to say a billion, but everything in the middle is very hard. Uh, so I just, I'm that, 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 that bus stop somewhere along the line that says, Hey, uh, let, let's, let's get your thing and mature it to a place where you feel really good about it. Um, uh, you have some optionality in terms of exit, making money, uh, expanding, uh, and more importantly, just staying curious and learning along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always tell founders, you, you know, uh, you, founders don't just have one bullet in the chamber and then like, they're like, Oh no, I'm going to shoot it. I have no more bullets. I always tell them, no, you have many, many, many bullets in the chamber. Sh- shoot it. Shoot your shot and uh, take a run at it and make sure you learn along the way that uh, every time after it gets infinitely faster. Uh, and that's the exciting part. Um, 
that gives an Does opportunity for way more businesses yeah. to expand, create jobs. I mean, like develop solutions that are infinitely better for people, right? That's correct. Yeah, Why do you think um, this hasn't been uh, done before? Uh, it, it, I think it has, but I don't think it's ever been a time like today where being an entrepreneur is so mainstreamed. Right. It's a, it's almost like a cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I need to go wear my hoodie. <laughs> right. And, and and drink boba tea. Like, uh, okay. Interesting. But if you look back at statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, a government organization, it's always been, you know, roughly 80% of the US economy is um uh built off the back of a one or two person shop company firm it's a mom pop company right that's 80 percent of us so it, it just hasn't been until recently there there's you know a shopify wix amazon like there was ebay before but kind of taking those you know to another level you can have a legitimate business storefront transact business digitally channels just keep opening technology makes it easier um, that's one. And then the second would be uh, typically uh, uh, tax law guides where money goes. So a, a lot of what's been happening with uh, the SEC and tax law or, uh, or tax regulation, uh, it's opened the door for your everyday Joe to invest in whatever he wants to invest in without having to be an accredited investor every single time, which means you have to have um, you know net worth of over whatever it is, uh, you know, one point something million dollars, and right. earn over two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, right? So if you if you're someone that maybe earns eighty thousand, you don't want to put your money in the stock market because you see it go up and down, and up and down. You're like, I'd rather invest in what I think is good technology, and maybe I don't know everything about it uh, or being an investor, but I feel better about that because I actually know the founders. Whatever the situation is. That's where there's, you know, crowdfunding, um, syndicate platforms. Um, people are forming their own groups, investment groups. There's a lot more interest in other ways to invest. That's not a 401k, uh, and and the tax law gives provision to do that. So you're now seeing like, oh wow, people can hang a shingle and go do their own thing. And then the pandemic pushed lots of people into that more. Yes, um, like, hey, just do your own thing. Yeah, so that's that's been super interesting to watch. And I think we're just seeing, I think we're going to see the proliferation of, um, I guess, folks like myself that have an institutional mindset and, and orientation, uh, but it's applied to kind of these earlier businesses, smaller businesses to say, hey, let's get you to a place further than you thought you'd be. Uh, and we'll be helpful because we, we see something on the other side of the horizon. Uh, and kind of giving them resources and, and the assistance that they need. This is what you mean by your superpower, being able to connect the dots. Super yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, that, so, that's correct. So you've gone down this rabbit hole. Like, <clears throat> is there ever a point in time where, you know, you've always been curious, obviously, where you just said, that's it. I'm doing something about this. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's been several of those points. Um, I, I can tell you that my grandfather, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he painted houses 
for a living. And uh, it, it was weird because he was an entrepreneur. My, my dad worked uh, as a civilian for the government. Um, my mom was an educator. And so I had this really interesting mix of, you know, my dad and mom saying, hey, get an education, go as far as you can go, get a PhD, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, uh, something like that. Um, um, and when you get a degree, then try to get a government job and hang on, you know, until you retire and get a nice pension. Hmm. And I just remember thinking like, that sounds like another version of hell. <laughs> uh, I just like my mind, it would just stop. Like I was bumping at something. And I was like, that doesn't feel good to think about. So doing it will like make my body repulse. Um, <laughs> what, and so, so what did yeah, you I think just, of your I, grandpa? Your grandpa was an entrepreneur. Was that something you always gravitated to? That's what made me super curious. <laughs> Oh. I was like, I don't get it. I'm like, I don't get it. Grandpa has no formal education, lives in a fantastic home in Berkeley, California, has a business and not a care in the world. I don't like, I don't understand <laughs> these two, these two different trains of thought. And so when I would ask him, the one thing that he would always do is just keep things super simple. He's like, yeah, just get started on something and you might not like it, figure out, figure a way to like it. Um, be nice to people, uh, take care of your reputation, work hard, um, and just plant, plant lots of seeds. And so like, little did I know after hearing that a couple of times from my grandpa growing up and then going through college and corporate career, I, I could have shortcut five, seven years off of, you know, college and early corporate, just understanding that concept. Um, but just understanding like there was another path one could take. Um, that was very open. And, and it's almost like, you know, today's video games, I hate to use too many analogies. Today's no, they're good games, stories. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a game that you're playing. It has a story and you're on the story arc and, it, you know, you go through the game and you do some stuff. Uh, but then if you go to the beginning of the game and the menu, it says, oh, you, you can go into creator mode. So you can go into creator mode. It's just open. The same game, but you can explore the entire universe, build, do stuff, create. And, and you know, I found like that's more interesting than the story. Yeah, you can follow someone else's story, see what happens, or you can go create your own. To me, that's just, it feels better. Um, so, yeah, that's just seeing those two different mindsets uh, definitely just kept this running thought in the back of my head when I'm when I'm working corporate or um, I'm experiencing something at, you know, at, at work where things didn't make sense or my bosses did not didn't see eye to eye or, you know, a project or a client was going sideways. And I'm like, Oh man, I hate this. Or I start to not like going into work. I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to go in. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Do I have to go in? Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Is there another path? And then being curious about what other paths I can create. Uh, that was the beginning of me saying, I, I'll I'll pick my own path and uh, so you had this constant viewpoint. So you had two two things. You had your parents and their viewpoint, and you had your grandfather and his viewpoint, and that gave you judgment over something, which it sounds like you carried all the way through corporate right. life. And then so you're in corporate life, right? And so did you say to hell with this? Like I'm starting some I'm I'm doing my thing now. I've gotten enough data. Yeah, it was a bit more methodical than that. So yeah. I had a, uh, a good friend, 
still a good friend, college professor. He's one of my econ professors. Uh, he, he just told me, you know, graduate when as I was, as I was graduating, he said, "Do you know what you're going to do after you graduate?" I said, "I I honestly don't. I have no clue." He was like, "That's not unusual, but if you ever get stuck going to insurance," and I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, yeah. "It's a large, archaic industry." very old school you're going to see some weird things like you know green screen terminals right you know um uh, departments with no internet like and i was like oh wow, that's interesting like that's really really bad and he's like yeah yeah but it's also a lot of different componentry to it there's sales there's financial engineering there's evaluation of risk there's building product and services and it's just a multi-faceted multi-dimensional you'll you'll at least be able to get into it uh, and if you're entrepreneurial, and, and he knew I was, uh, you know, you'll be able to at least reinvent yourself several times over a corporate career until you retire. And what a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his story is worth a podcast of itself. But um, yeah, super cool guy. And uh, the, the one piece of knowledge he, he left me with, a little tidbit was, I'm, I'm just giving you a fair warning, Paul, if you clock in. I'm not saying clock in, do your time. I'm saying if you legitimately try to get seven to 10 years of credible experience, like learning parts of the business and like mastering it, uh, you'll be able to do anything you want. You start your own business. You can rise to the ranks super fast. He's like, but just be diligent to master something. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. That's a fantastic so got, lesson. Yeah. I mean, because I want you to finish your thing, but I want to say this seven to 10 years seems like a long time to, um, certain people. Right. But it is a time for mastery. Did you do that? Oh yeah. And, 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 and so again, I was very curious, um, did nerdy things like, you know, go to used bookstores and, (laughs) uh, check out books and, buy books and just whatever i would just go buy like a random bag of books business books and just you know go to the park and read read them and throw them away if i didn't like it keep them if i did like th- that was kind of the hobby and sport but um i had learned a couple valuable things through these random books i was reading um and and one was you know if you're if you're committed to mastering something don't just clock your time in be diligent to learn the skills and it was just, you know, in one of these books, it was one line. The rest of the book made no sense. One line had said, um, think about your job as paid training. Hmm. And I think I stopped reading the book at that point because I was like, whoa. So if I get a job, industry I want to be in, and I do the job, when I feel like I've mastered it, then I move on. And so I tend to get bored quickly, and that would happen. So I, I, I felt I mastered the job. Uh, maybe I automated my entire work in 15 minutes instead of taking a month to do, which yeah. happens. Um, and, you know, I would do these little things and I would probably stay in a role about a year, year and a half, maybe two years. And then start looking for the next place. Um, but I was aggregating these, these points of experience that were important to me. But I definitely had a narrative in my ear from friends and family and even colleagues saying, Paul, you can't just keep jumping around your resume is going to look jacked. Mm. looks like you're unstable or you know what you're doing. I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing because I know where I'm heading. You don't. So it looks unstable. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> Good. And, and, right. And another yeah. adage and pro tip is 
if someone's not paying your bills or contributing to paying your bills in any manner, your opinion doesn't matter. It's true. That's the hard truth. It doesn't of it. matter. It's the hard truth yeah. of it. Right. So when someone would tell me something like, Paul, you can't jump around and X, Y, and Z, I look at them and go, you didn't pay any of my bills last month or the month before or the month before, and you have no bearing on my future. Interesting. Doesn't matter. I love say. that. It's, a, it's right? like really common sense. So you go through this, was it 10 years? Did you actually hit the 10 year mark? And you're like, okay, I'm ready. It was nine. Yeah, it was nine. nine. So I, I got, you know, jumped through multiple roles, uh, met some great people, great experiences. Um, and my last corporate role, um, I was becoming, we'll just call it more independent, more vocal, more set in like who I am. And like my, my way was working and I wasn't overt about like pushing that in people's face, but just learning, being diligent, mastering, trying to create value, definitely thinking about how to lead and do things, be a doer, um, instead of something else. Um, and it was my last corporate boss who, uh, we didn't see eye to eye. He was a great he has a great smile, uh, great corporate figurehead. Uh, the substance was lacking. That was found out by many. But I would, I would, I'm a good guy. I try to help people out. I would, hey, yeah, hey, that idea, maybe we could do X or be I'll nice. That's what you your grandfather told you, right? Be nice. So I was always trying to help. And I think it burned up this individual that he couldn't stand me. I would just take it, absorb it, and then like, like recenter it into something positive like hey let's try to do this and maybe yeah we can help you know whatever your plan is tweak it so it's x and so i remember we went to a, a client meeting after the client meeting it went well um we're, we're sitting at lunch and then he's just staring at me it was really uncomfortable and i'm like ah there's something's not right and, and he goes paul i just gotta speak up i'm like yeah what's up um he's like i think you're full of it Wow. And he started to use some, some, you know, not so great language. And I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? I think you're full of it. You think, you know, so much about this industry and like, you know, like the future, what's going to happen next. And you have all these great ideas that you think are going to work. I don't think any of them are gonna, actually going to work. And, you know, it doesn't work this way. And, you know, you have a lot to learn. And, you know, it was one of the most discouraged. It could have been one of the most discouraging uh, conversations ever. Yeah. Um, and I just said, look, um, that's your opinion. Good for you. I said, I said, are you done? You know? Uh, and I asked for the check. So I got, I got the check and I was like, yeah, okay. That's very big um, of you. <laughs> right. So I, I got up, walked off, um, a couple of weeks later, he's like, Hey Paul, how are you? And Hey, you know, you should come in the office early, you know, on Monday to spend some more time together and, uh, uh, you know, talk, talk some stuff out. Okay. So I, I go in super early on a Monday. He's already there. Hey, uh, come on in here in my office. And I sit down. Hey, how's your family? And granted, my son was super sick and he knew about it. Uh, and he was like, hey, I got to, uh, we're eliminating your position. This isn't working. Wow. And I'm like, okay. He's like, HR is in the next room. Uh, I, I negotiated a package the best I could do for you. 
hopefully that helps. I'll give you a letter of recommendation. Hope, hope things work out for you in the future. Uh, this, you know, this isn't going to work and wish you all the best. And is there any, is there anything I could do? I'm like, which room is HR in? <laughs> Were you shocked or happy? Um, I, I was, I was neither. I was in the moment. Okay. So literally I was like, literally, which, yeah. which room is HR in? And he's like, well, they're in the one right next door. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, anything else? And he was starting to sense like, this guy's taking it super well. I want him to feel it a little bit more. And oh, no. He's like, well, you know, I, I just think that, you know, um, just your path and what I'm trying to work on. I'm like, you don't need to say another thing. I say, you're, let, you're firing me. No, 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 no. We're, uh, we're just eliminating your position. Uh, I say, look, I know you're going to do the political thing. It has to sound right so you don't get in trouble. I say, that's fine. Like, I wish you all the best. I'm going to get up now. I'm okay. So I go and talk to HR and I tell them, hey, this needs to change. This needs to change. Um, and it was a pretty, pretty nice package. Good. Um, and so quite literally sign the papers, give them my laptop. Um, and, uh, you know, some folks were starting to come into the office and they see me like with a, with a box. They're like, what's happening, Paul? I'm like, ask, ask your boss. <laughs> Because he's not mine anymore. So ask your boss. And then uh, I, I I remember there's a stairwell and an elevator. And I wanted to take the stairwell because I wanted to use my phone. I would not have a reception in the elevator. So I got in the stairwell with my box, have my phone. It may have been a flip phone. Can't remember. Um, <laughs> and, and I <laughs> I, I called who uh, uh, an individual that I had met in that last corporate role. Cause I had to interface with maybe 12 new startups a week. I was mentoring about five a month. Wow. And um, several of them had said, wow, like Paul, if you're ever a free agent, let me know. We'd love to have you here. Uh, you're, you know, you're amazing. You create so much value for our company and everyone respects you. So it was, it was weird hearing. I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But the people having, you're actually like, working with are seeing value and actually really experiencing right. it. Right. And, and they're investors. Right. Right. So, so I go down the stairwell. I call the first guy that came top of mind. Hey, how are you? I'm great, Paul. What's up? You're calling me a, a little earlier today. Yeah. Remember how you said if I was ever a free agent? So I'm a free agent now. I'm no longer with you know, the, com the company. Really? Hang on. Hang on. Just give me like five or 10 minutes. Check your email box and call me back after you see what's in there. So I'm like still walking to my car, unlock the car, get in. Open my phone again. Wasn't a flip phone because I had internet on it. Blackberry. Uh, <laughs> next best you remember thing. now. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm on it, and I'm like, there's a, there's an email from this individual, and it has an, a, an attachment. The attachment was a contract, and the contract was my first advisory consulting gig to be interim, like you know, whatever this guy needed. We worked out the details, but it, it replaced my income. And, and then some, because he was like, "Hey, I know your family is isn't doing well health wise. We're adding a, a you know some extra money to pay for your health care, so you don't have to worry about it." That's so like, ass. like, so so literally five minutes, like five minute swing. A guy doesn't he knows about my family situation. I think I scored like in the one percent of the company on performance evaluation. I'm bringing it. Um, 
And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You got to go eliminate your position. Five minutes later, we think the world of you, boom. So um, I'm like, awesome. Um, um, I sign it when I get home. We get that going. Um, on the way home, uh, I called my partner. She was, and I told her what happened. And, um, you know, it was super interesting. She was like, so what are you going to do? Like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel fantastic. And she's like, good. She's like, she's like, good. Like, I, I think you needed this. Uh, this was your, your launch. You know, I don't think, you know, you would have done it eventually, but I know your time frame was like 10 years. Like, this was about what, nine? I said, yeah, this was about wow. nine and a half. She's like, she's like, you're ready. Like, your wings are ready. Just go. And uh, I think it took me another week and I got two more clients. And that, like, that was it. And I was like, okay, I'm doing my own thing. I love we that story. That's like a yeah, maverick awesome. story, right? Like, it's like, no, a Marvel yeah. story, right? It's yeah, like, absolutely. The air is in your absolutely. back. You're picking them off as you're going down the stairwell, yeah. right? You open the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that individual is the only individual I've ever blocked wholesale on LinkedIn. Wow. That says was, a lot. It was my it was my first experience of understanding like toxicity can kill you, your reputation, your ethos, your aura. And I was like, don't want to bother with it. Um, so that and was then ironically. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, ironically, I, you know, I pushed it out of my mind, did my thing. I mean, I think my first three weeks, uh, I took the family on a trip to Santa Cruz. We just stayed in Santa Cruz and I worked from there and we went to the beach I'm like, yeah, this feels, <laughs> this feels a lot better. Um, and I love the ironies in life. Like, it, they're everywhere. Um, and the, 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 the biggest irony was about a year later, I get a call from some of my colleagues that were still back there. And they, uh, they said, hey, this individual that let me go, he wants, to, he wants to talk to you. Can you call him? I said, this is interesting. I said, I have no reason to contact him. He can call me. You call me, he can call me. Well, he's afraid you won't answer. Okay. So I call him like, hey, what's going on? Hey, Paul, I heard you're doing super well. Um, Look, you know, I realized I didn't treat you right. Okay. And he's like, you know, I was harsh on you, you harsh towards you, hard on you. it became very evident once you left, you're, you're single-handedly, you know, probably the, the biggest influencer of thought here. Um, you're executing at a very high level. It just became very apparent. Um, and, you know, because of that, you know, I did work something out. We're going to pay you, uh, you know, a bonus. So how, so how, much, after, how much time has this passed? Like, this is a year. Okay. A year later. A year. So, so, so he pays, he pays a bonus to a fi- basically fired worker. <laughs> so I said, Hey, I, I thought, I said, I don't need that. I said, if you, if you're extending that, that's, that's great. So yeah, look, hopefully we can, you know, uh, you know, you know, not, we don't need to reconnect or anything, but just want to let you know, I appreciate you. I'm sorry. Uh, X, Y, Z. So I, I know how to connect dots. Is said, this hey, a Trojan you. horse? It. No, it's not. It, he tried, it tried to be. Uh, but I connect dots super fast, and I'm like, number one, I, I already thought the guy wouldn't last long in his role because he was an executor. 
or just a figurehead. And I was like, he's probably sensing he's going to be let go. He needs a good reputation, right? Mm. Otherwise, he's going to go into a market where he's going to reference things that he's done that are highly tied to me. Someone may come asking, and then I, you know, blow the guy up with a podcast like this. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not good. It's not good. So I love it. So I, yeah. So I just said, hey, you know, I kept them blocked and uh, haven't heard from them since. But um, yeah, that, that's that's what pushed me into the entrepreneurial front. It was a place that felt more like home than corporate, uh, and a place that gave me a lot of autonomy. And I thrive in ambiguity, so it works. Yes, you do. And you know what we call that? That whole story. It's like clean living. It's just clean living, right? It is doing it's things for the greater living. good. By the way, is your family better? Oh yeah. So my son, he healed through what he needed to heal through. He's doing phenomenally well. No impacts. So it all worked out good. super well. Yeah. Good. Thank you. That's an awesome story. Um, tell me this, who are the early adopters of this disruption? Cause you mentioned there's people that are going, yeah, this makes sense. Hey, I, I understand this. Hey, what are you doing? Who are the early adopters? Yeah. Um, we've all seen it now. If you're in the space, you've all seen it catalyzed by the pandemic, but in mass, uh, these early adopters are folks that gave up the big city, uh, major metro or either coast, and they started to kind of, you know, boomerang back towards the Midwest. So, so typically the folks that were in the Midwest said, I'm going to Boston, New York, San Francisco, LA, uh, maybe Miami, uh, expensive lifestyles, a lot of, you know, corporate stressors. Um, and then they start to realize I don't need that. The negativity, the toxicity, uh, large commute times, this pressure of keeping up with the Joneses. So all that. It's like a rat race. When you, it's a rat race. And we realize you can run you can run a race that's not a rat race. You can run one that's more comfortable to, for you on your pace and your terms. And you can actually dictate how your life should be based on your wants instead of how you need to conform to you know a lifestyle that maybe is ill-fitting, uh, you're seeing that now. So the early adopters, you know, um, there's actually a, a group in Columbus, Ohio, uh, called Drive Capital. Uh, love them. Uh, they, you know, they were guys that came out of Silicon Valley. They were Apple investors and other, you know, early stage investors that did quite well, start their own fund. They are a part of large Sand Hill Road, Silicon Valley funds. And they said, you know what? I went back home for the holidays uh, to Columbus. I miss home. Mm. It's, everything's more affordable, cheaper. There's smart people there. There's university. There's business, financial capital of the world outside of New York. Let me go see if I can make stuff happen. And it, it didn't take long at all wow. right, for this ethos of affordable, clean living, smart people, access to money. And you don't need as much money as either coast if you're in Ohio. So your money goes right. further with running your business or living or attracting talent. Um, so it, it was interesting. You started to see this, this mashup of startup, startup life, uh, the good side of corporate culture, uh, but almost like this youthful exuberance of like, like your college experience that just gets matured a little bit. And it's just mixed around in that, uh, in that stew. Uh, that was one of the early adopters. Uh, another one is Tiny Capital out of Canada. 
So, you know, I think, you know, that's a guy, Andrew Wilkinson, never met him. Uh, I intend to one day, uh, but he literally uh, started a company, sold it, took the money, started another company, did quite well and said, hey, I'm just going to focus on buying little companies. Maybe they're 40,000, maybe they're 50,000, maybe and they're 100. Tiny capital. Tiny capital. And he has a portfolio of maybe it's 80 companies, 60 to 80 companies. Um, he manages them quite well. He has a great ethos about him uh, and management style. And he, he just lives life on his own terms, according to the rules that make sense to him. Yes. If, if others don't, don't conform, then like, don't, don't create the conflict. Just continue to, to, to attract the, the things and people and opportunities that align. Um, so, that's like, uh, that know, sounds like your superhero colleague. It <laughs> sounds like you. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. So, so yeah, he's, he's one that I, I look up to and, uh, you know, admire cool. quite a bit. Who, where have you had trouble in adoption and getting people on board? You know, every time there's innovation or disruption, there's people that just don't like change. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, so DS9 Capital, um, we had to do something. We, we had to make a few moves first in order to do what we really wanted to do. And that was uh, talk the talk, walk the walk. So um, the, the one thing that we do see that, you know, a little off-putting um, will be, I don't know, maybe someone that was a junior associate or analyst at Investment Bank in New York for a year, maybe six months. Um, they band together with a couple college buddies or others kind of like them. They, ha they might hit a bit of luck in terms of, you know, trading, you know, their, their social capital and they have some good relationships and somehow they might wrestle through the door $5 million that they put into their fund, maybe it's $2 million. And then you see all these, you know, headlines and press releases that these, these folks started their own fund and they're shaking up the world. Um, you're talking about yeah, fluffy no press releases. You're ta are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's not, it's not even that it's just the concept of, uh, being, being an a investment banker for six months to a year, no operating experience. You get your hands on a few million dollars and now you know what the market wants, needs, and what will be successful. Right. Uh, and you barely moved out of your parents' home. Like th yeah. those things just, just it doesn't make sense so and you DSM put out a press Capital, release in, in order to influence public opinion to think otherwise that's correct yeah that's correct um and so the 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 contrarian mode which is us is let's um let's warehouse intellectual property if we see something that's interesting let's develop ideas like true intellectual property let's acquire it uh let's combine it like whatever we have to do to warehouse our own intellectual property and then we started to think about how can I be using a business that could be a sustainable business, not a business that's just racing towards the next round of funding. Because many businesses, it's just a vehicle to attract capital. Yeah. And then you try to attract it again and refinance the other people out. And hopefully someone uh, buys it at the end, which is like the retail investor on E-Trade or something. That is not the game. Good. That's the game. So you know, we said, let's develop our own companies with a founder-friendly uh, focus, as a true operator, build real revenue, real profitability, a, a real sustainable business. So, so if no one came to invest in us, no one came to acquire us, uh, we have a business that cash flows, gets people jobs, 
livelihood and we can just grow it as patiently as we want it to, or we can accelerate it if we want it to. That, that was the goal. So um, we were able to launch um, uh, two companies over the last six years. Um, there's, there's a few more in the hopper. But now that we've done it and raised millions of dollars of capital and uh, realized companies that have generated millions of dollars of revenue and EBITDA, like we, we get it. We've engineered situations, solutions, financing um, very creatively. We've, we've done it. We've done it uh, sufficiently enough and we're super excited about it. Um, now as a doer, we get to do it all faster with the next ventures and that's what we do. But, but we started to, you know, in our network, uh, attract folks that were like, hey, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Can I just pick your brain? You know, what are your thoughts? And how would you do it? You know, I don't want to do it how they do it in the name your major metro. And we'd say, oh, you know, do it this way or maybe consider X. Or maybe we, we, we'd invest a little time and say, let's look at your business. Let's get in it. Um, and we started to find that there's this really interesting place where we can almost be management consultants but act as investors with a true interest in the business. So, so that, that's a bit of what we do. Uh, we may help uh, by directly investing, helping to find the right financing, uh, creating uh, creative solutions that they've never heard of or thought about, or just commercializing and saying, no, let's, let's, let's do a flywheel effect on your revenue. So you don't really need uh, you know, to dilute your your equity position or or have warrants against your business and some debt structure. Um, so so these are the things that we do. Um, it is definitely off center. Uh, there are larger firms, private equity, that would do it at, at a larger scale. We just brought those concepts to smaller scale with more creativity. So it sounds like you know the eighty twenty rule. You have eighty percent that's still stuck in the status quo, and you're starting to get yeah. a growing adoption of the twenty percent, like starting to be interested in you. I'm just picking out that arbitrary 80-20 rule, sure. right? Is that yeah, is that absolutely. right? You have these like still majority of the industries like not adopting this, yeah. not understanding it, not wanting to, stuck in the rat race. And you don't yeah. really care about so, them, right? Yeah, that, that, that was the punchline. I don't really care about them. So the interesting thing about statistics is they can help you tell interesting stories. They can be confidence boosters they can redefine kind of what's going on. So if you use the 80, 20 rule, if I cared about the 80% and then I'm only, you know, getting the small percent of the 20%, that's a really small number. If I don't care about them because I disqualify them because of their ethos, how they do business, I don't fit into their criteria. That 20% is my hundred percent. So as I start to clip away at that, it's material. Right. And, and typically the people that 20 percent aren't looking at the 80 percent anyway. I, I become an influential voice. Right. Uh, 20 percent is 80 percent of our economy. Right. <laughs> I, w- I hope people are going to be able to see your uh, facial expressions <laughs> because they tell so much. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. So- yeah. The story of yours, right? So you grew up with your, you know, your grandfather's voice and you saw what's happening with your parents. Like, you know, who are you and how, what were you like as little Paul? Like, were you always super curious? Did you always go down rabbit holes? Oh yeah. Many, uh, I was very, very introverted, uh, very quiet, hated crowds, hated school. 
uh, bullied a lot. Uh, I struggled. I did well in school, but definitely it was a struggle uh, because none of it made sense to me. So, you know, as we're <laughs> learning math, we're learning math. I just couldn't get over mentally. Why are we learning this? Like, what is that equation going to be used for? And, and until that was answered, I just couldn't learn. Uh, so it was like those kinds of things were a struggle, uh, but just very quiet. Uh, I, I had a few friends, but we lived in a really bad area uh, of town. You didn't want to play with the kids that were in, 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 in the streets there. Um, so it was just me and my brother. We, just, we were best friends. We spent all our time together. Um, you know, my parents drove me out of our neighborhood to go to a better school. So that meant after school, I didn't really get to play with my friends there. So we'd just go right back home. So, um, avid reader, um, my godfather, um, he was a chemist at Chevron. Um, I looked up to him dearly and he just, he would invite me over and he would just introduce me to just all kinds of things. Uh, he gave me my first kind of, uh, chemistry sets. He helped me build and create things. Uh, he gave me my first computer. It was a Commodore 64. Um, and I just spent hours on that thing and just exploring and creating and just bumping my head against the wall. Uh, I spent, you know, if, if the family went to uh, went shopping, like to the mall or something, you stayed I home. would literally say, no, I would say, okay, cool. Um, I will be in Radio Shack. When you're done, come get me. (laughs) I'd be talking to the guys like, oh, man, what does this do? What is a diode? And what is this? And what can this do? And can I touch this computer? Can I cut it on? Like, does it work? How does it work? And, uh, like, that was just me. Like, (laughs) that was me, like, as little Paul. Um, But, yeah, just very introverted. Uh, and I you grew up in this disparate, I, like you had all these disparate things, like, you know, your grandfather compared to your parents, yeah. where you lived, to where you went to school, the, the kids that you played with or couldn't play with, right. Um, yeah. being bullied, I, I would imagine that caused you to sit outside of things and just look at why and did, what yeah. else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, so, so I, I have the, the luxury now of having three kids. And hearing it their conversations, it's a luxury. Um, I get to hear their conversations with my parents, you know, their grandparents. And they'll ask, like, how was Papa when he was our age? And so what I hear is interesting. Um, you know, they'll, you know, they'll tell my kids, like, hey, you know, your Papa was, he's quiet. Like, wherever we went, he was always just watching. And he, he would absorb, like, 90% of everything. They're like, that, like, that's your Papa. And he was always like connecting the dots and very empathetic and, you know, cared about, you know, someone that was struggling or he would pick up on facial expressions or people's body language. Like your papa was very smart that way. And they're like, oh, wow, interesting. And so as I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that's, that was me, still is me. Um, but, but I did hack my way out of being an introvert to be a little bit more extroverted uh, because I, I realized you know, to, to, to sit on the things I've learned and not share it is probably the most selfish thing I could do. I, I'm no one in a planet of billions of people, but, you know, if I can help someone avoid the headaches of being an entrepreneur, uh, maybe it's not even for them. Uh, maybe someone's trapped in corporate and they feel like they're a prisoner. 
their lifestyle stifled and I can help them feel more positive about what they do or pass out and options uh, or even school. And many kids don't know what they're going to do when they get out of school. So they keep going to school and keep incurring debt. And like, there's so many other paths and the older I get, the more mature I get, you start to see the theme that's now kind of rearing its head of like mental health. Mm. Right. So I'm like, Oh, like, wow. Out of nowhere, like depression, suicide at all time high. Like, where does that come from? But when I think back on like what creates those sources of pain and angst, it's, it's work, it's relationships, it's feeling the pressure to do what other people want you to do or feeling like the perception versus reality or it's all those things that if you don't know yourself, uh, if you're not curious, if you're not, you know, uh, willing to explore a path that might make you happier, but it might make you, you know, feel like you're a little off center from the crowd. You, you have to learn those things, but it, it does bring you to a better place. It's, you know, what, what I do is, is it has a slightly higher purpose. Uh, Absolutely. That's what makes you what you are is your purpose. And the fact that you don't sit on your wisdom um, is probably the best soundbite of this entire podcast. Hey, that's helpful. That's awesome. <laughs> I think so. Not sitting on your wisdom, not being in an ivory tower, but making yeah. sure that you imparted your wisdom to help others instead of doing nothing about it. Yeah, that's right. So where is this going? Where do you see the industry changing, you know, with this disruption? How do you see it in five to 10 years? Um, yeah, what's interesting to me is there's still a statistic. It hasn't changed much over the last five years. So the U.S. economy, um, the entire U.S. economy, only 30, 30 to 35% of it uh, is involved in e-commerce. That's so like hard to think believe. About how large, yeah, think about how large Amazon is, Google, Facebook, Shopify, and, and they're all legitimately saying they're just scratching the surface. That's interesting. It is. Not quite scary. It's just interesting. It's like, wow. So, so that means that there is 65% of the U.S. economy that hasn't found its digital moment yet. Uh, and as, as Shopify becomes more relevant, and helping people to start their businesses faster with all the support needed. And then Amazon doing the same increasingly and others, you're going to see smaller businesses uh, pop up. And you're, you're going to find that there, there are um, plenty of investors and people willing to throw money at stuff. But you're, not, you're going to find a, a lack of people that will connect dots and figure out what do you do with that opportunity. Uh, so, so, so what I'm excited about, what I see for the future are a lot more smaller businesses that I could probably acquire and those smaller businesses represent departments of a larger business, hmm. right? So That's um, if someone has, yeah, so, so give them the autonomy to, to do and excel at what they do. And they're the master of that. Uh, their peers are other CEOs and founders running other departments. But if you're pointed at a similar mission, like what you pick up along the way is all accretive in terms of revenue, opportunity, it, it, it just leads to more. So that's what I'm super excited about. And it, it won't take a lot of capital to pull that off either. So what you see in Redmond, Washington, 
with Microsoft. They're, they're probably the first to do it. Uh, huge campus, uh, like clockwork, every few years they would do a mass layoff. Project didn't go well. Laptops didn't sell good. Cell phones didn't work. Hmm. Uh, software needed to transition to the cloud. There would be a mass layoff of thousands of people. Those people were, it's not like they just died and were eliminated. They would be at home and go, oh, maybe I should just start my own thing. Yeah. So they have a wonderful ecosystem around like a Microsoft of, of investors that popped up, entrepreneurs, uh, venture studios, accelerators. And so then all of a sudden you saw the, sh the shedding of talent that creates new things that gets acquired by that big thing again. And then it gets shed again until like that big thing keeps getting transformed. It's like a snake shedding its skin. Like I think that's going to happen a lot more. And I think like the recognition of a corporate culture saying, hey, we hire 1099ers. 1099ers, you know, you, that could be your, your personal name or it could be the name of your business. As soon as you make it your business, it's a different ball game. Mm -hmm. so, so tapping into that and helping people breathe more life into their business than they would on their own is interesting to me. And then aggregating them in a fashion uh, where one plus one equals 10 is kind of where I'm heading with, you know, what I'm doing. Wow. So I say, wow, a lot, you know, when I talk to people like you, there are things that I just go, wow. So this is how, you know, that gives a lot of hope for the future, a lot of hope for the future. There's a ton. There's a, there's a ton. Um, and we're in a, in a bleak time in our history when, you know, things are, just, you know, the news and everything is compounding the, the felony per se, right? Of all this bad news right. and there's no hope. There is huge hope. There is huge transformation. There's huge innovation going on. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I get excited um, by a couple trends. So, so one, education. Education serves no one well if you're not curious. This is back to curiosity. I, I learned the most when I got when I got out of college. Yeah. I couldn't wait to graduate because I was like, I can't wait to read books I want to read. <laughs> um, as if as if I couldn't do it before, but I was like, there's things I actually legitimately want to know, and I I don't want to spend thousands of dollars from a professor that's telling me about it, but has never done it. But like that's not good. Um, and so just even the concept of like for dummies books. They're 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 still undervalued. Um, Interesting. Uh, boot cap, yeah, like boot caps. Um, over a little overvalued, uh, but still a better path than spending thousands of dollars and going to college. And by the time you're out of college, even if you go to college for a technical, you know, uh, degree in computer science or something, there's a strong likelihood by the time you get out, the technologies you got trained on are obsolete. Uh, so, so thinking about education different means um, there's paths that probably look more like for dummies books, boot camps, and starting a business first, almost like a trade or a p apprenticeship. It like it's like an instant cram on the theory and then put you into the practical to apply yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I love ideas like accelerators, incubators. They, um, you don't need college training, but idea, maybe get technical training through a boot camp or something, 
but you can always layer in business. You can layer in other elements on how do you run a business, uh, financing, like those are just weekend courses to get you sufficient. Uh, and then just constant curiosity to, to nurture that. But like that gives me hope when, you know, I read an article the other day that called generation Z, the zombie generation. Really? So like generation Z, generation Z is probably the most, in one sense, uh, um, undereducated group. Um, they're going to face the most, uh, they'll be the, uh, the most unprepared group. Um, they are adversely affected by social media and technology. Hmm. Uh, they suffer from depression and mental health issues more than the other groups. Like it's a zombie generation and, and it's going to lead to a fact where, you know, um, they're stuck. Um, the promise though, is if they're willing to adopt a new paradigm because they're so influenced by digital technology, you can go into a boot camp and then you can, you know, take a social network and form a team or launch something and make enough revenue to pay rent. Like and the ramp up time is very, very, shorter, right? Very, I mean, very short today, very short. like with education and so forth. I mean, the ramp up time is so long, the longer the ramp up time, the longer you, the bigger chance you have to fail. Yeah. Uh, another stat that hit me uh, earlier in my corporate days uh, was uh, I think most said so on average um, the U.S. you know adult worker will have I think three career changes like totally different careers and I was like it's like three so different lives just, right it's three different lives <laughs> yeah so, so that means as as you restart you reset so it, it was just interesting to think about like okay so if that's going to happen to me or could happen so spend three years on this. And if I need to change, uh, everyone else has too. That got exposed on, on LinkedIn. So annually, I don't know if they still do it, LinkedIn will release a report and it would, it would show you your network of everyone you're connected to and then show you how many people changed jobs that year, right? And the, the, stat, the stat literally was every three years, your network, most of your network changes over. Wow, interesting. So when I saw that, I'm like, interesting. Interesting. So, you know, uh, when people start to realize that, you see more on LinkedIn now. If someone changes roles, hey, congrats. It's not like, oh, I wonder what happened. Did they get let go? <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like, oh, congrats. And then you look at where they're at. You're like, oh, cool. I wonder if there's something I can do with them. Like, it's, it's positive, as it should be. Explore, be creative, and take the positive with you. Like that, all those things are, they bode well for what I see in the future. Um, rather than, you know, a lot of the negative you may see just, you know, hovering around as well. Yeah. Does that mean that you're going to venture out more into helping companies, not just in say insure tech or FinTech or, you know, are you going to go more into e-commerce, edutech, education, uh, other types of companies? Um, potentially, uh, but, but I, you know, I'm going to stay pretty close to insurance and fintech, and the the irony of insurance and fintech, so insurance and payments. Um, every business on earth needs insurance. Every activity could be insured, and everyone has to pay for something. So 
if I if I run across an ed tech thing, which we do, or some logistics thing, which we do, uh, or even something that's you know ag tech, it's going to require insurance and maybe modernized insurance, where it's a nuance because there's a, a different flavor of technology or something. We're helpful, so we'll see it and be able to influence it. Uh, and if someone needs to pay for one of these new services. There's lots of uh, better ways to pay for services today than there were even just a year ago. So we can always be helpful just from those two aspects on any business. So we, we get to see quite a bit, uh, but we'll stay disciplined uh, around on those two fronts. Well, insurance is still an antiquated industry that needs a lot of innovation and disrupting. So you can help a lot there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's plenty, plenty to do. Hey, so um, before we ask people where they can get a hold of you, tell me what you do, like on your on your uh, hobby time, or like what what are your crazy passions? Um, yeah, I don't know. This is my hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, audio books. Um, I'm scanning the news and connecting dots. I mean, it's just what I do. Um, other than that, I love spending time with my kids, spend a, a lot of time with them. Um, uh, I like just being outdoors. I what do you, what do, you do with your kids? Just, Are you like, do you guys watch a lot of movies? Do you go outdoors together? Like what's the favorite thing you like to do? Um, Legos, number one, um, uh, just being outdoors, just playing. So if basketball, Frisbee, digging holes, building stuff, um, uh, We'll go on drives and just explore places. That's cool. We'll just look up a random restaurant and just say, hey, let's go there and see what we find on the way. Uh, yeah, just, just again, curiosity, <laughs> exposure. Yeah. Very fun. They're very fun activities. Nurture them and your, your life will stay pretty fresh. Uh, that's, what we, that's what we found. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I do to just, just have fun. That's cool. So your crazy passions are always still surrounded around curiosity. Yeah, yeah, and kids. That's awesome. So, how do people get a hold of you? Um, I I am not on Facebook. Okay. Uh, I am Facebook sober. <laughs> uh, it's not a knock on anyone. I just know what works for me. You can find me on LinkedIn. So that's kind of exclusively where I roam. Um, so LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Um, Paul yeah, Ford. I chat with it. You can look anyway. you up, Paul Ford, DS9 Capital on Paul LinkedIn, Ford. right? That's correct. And when, and the, um, address for your website. Um, yeah, it's www.ds9capital.com. And for, uh, the observant DS9 is a Star Trek reference. <laughs> Are you a Trekkie? Yeah. How I come am. we never got into this? I didn't know that about you. You're a Trekkie. <laughs> Deep space nine rules them all. So I'm sure someone will debate me on that on LinkedIn now. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Okay, great. So thank you very much, Paul. Guys, uh, that's it for right now. If you've learned something today or laugh, tell people about this podcast. If you want to debate DS9 uh, with Paul on LinkedIn, check him out there. Tell people to go disrupt their markets. Um, and thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. 
Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.